Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm joined by Duncan Reese. Duncan is the COO and co-founder of Cohere Health, a company looking to transform utilization management into true care management. Duncan and I discuss why prior authorization is an ideal area for innovation, why thinking in terms of patient journeys is such a powerful framing, and how startups should look to the past for inspiration, but still leverage modern technology. Enjoy. Duncan Reese, COO and co-founder of Cohere Health. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. So to start off, can you just tell us a bit about what Cohere does? Cohere actually means uh, it's a, the front end of coherent, which, um, as you know all too well, oftentimes the healthcare system is not uh, as coherent as it should be. Exactly. But, w- but we were founded to basically take... Um, what has historically been an important, but um, oftentimes uh, chaotic process that health insurance companies perform today called utilization management and turn it from what is increasingly becoming a liability into a strategic asset. We can talk a little bit more about, about why uh, it's both a liability and, and can be a strategic asset um, as you see fit, um, but effectively we help the insurance company better partner with their members, with patients, and with ordering providers so as to provide appropriate care faster in line with the evidence and do so in a way that is more cohesive and, and coherent uh, for, for people, for patients and, and uh, insurance company members. And I think, you know, one thing that might be helpful, uh, a lot of folks, particularly if you don't come from insurance or you don't come from the medical field, you might have no idea what utilization management is. And so quick definition. So utilization management is a, is a service pro, uh, that health insurance companies and some uh, risk-bearing medical groups provide to ensure that there isn't unwarranted variation that, that is happening for, for people. Um, as you know, um, has been documented in the literature going back to the, the folks at Dartmouth Atlas, uh, as much as 30% or more of the healthcare dollar and services provided are, are, are wasteful and oftentimes are reflective of unwarranted variations that exist. And so uh, insurance companies play an important role to ensure that, that uh, people are not receiving care that's inappropriate for them. But unfortunately, that process oftentimes is more frictionful than it should be uh, as experienced both by members, by people and the doctors and other clinicians who take care of them. Given this uh, thorny problem with a lot of stakeholders, what you know, what's your own background? Like, how did you come to tackle such a, a challenging but uh, uh, potentially impactful area of the healthcare system? Yeah, it's an interesting, um, or maybe not so interesting story. So I, I started my career in financial services because I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and that's what my friends are doing, and I, I thought that if they were smart. And that was interesting to them. I should do the same thing. And right. I, I was fortunate. I landed in a uh, an investment firm actually here in Boston called Westfield Capital that had a specialty in investing in healthcare companies. And what I realized was I was not a good investor. <laughs> and uh, but I really liked 
meeting the CFOs and CEOs of these companies who are doing transformational things and developing new drugs, uh, new services, new technology, new devices that were going to change the world. And so I had this uncomfortable moment in my life where I realized, oh no, I need to get on the other side of the table, which meant I needed to learn some new skills and, and switch careers. The other big influence in my life was my parents. My mom is a nurse practitioner and she taught nursing at UMass Lowell. My dad consulted the healthcare systems. And what I realized was they were so passionate about the work they were doing and particularly appreciating what physicians do, appreciating what some of the challenges that folks go through on a day-to-day basis. My, my mom did her research on uh, Cambodian families in Lowell who were dealing with how to talk to their, their children about their asthma and wow. you know got an appreciation for the kind of empathy you need to have and, and, and culture differences that exist both with, with us, uh, different communities as well as the way different physicians think and work. And, uh, and that propelled me into wanting to go into healthcare on the business side, not being a clinician myself. And I used business school to make that shift. Um, coming out of business school, I was fortunate to land in organizations that were willing to, to teach me a lot about how the healthcare system works. And I had the unique chance to work with particularly physicians and others who are part of doing work in value-based care before that was a buzzword. So I was very naive, you know, having these big grand ideas and, and learn both the hard way and the good way about how the system works. And, and probably my most formative experience was actually working on the care delivery side, where I worked for an organization called Iora Health. And there worked with physicians, nurses, health coaches, and other team members who are trying to build a new model of primary care that was unrest- unrestricted from the way in which current fee-for-service medicine worked. And you know, going back to your original question, you know, how does how does this role relate to Cohere? There, I, I I wanted to try all these new ideas to develop new models of care and new op- new operating processes and new incentive models. And it took me a few years, but I realized I was actually making, oftentimes making uh, the practices less effective and not spending enough time thinking about how to remove uh, the waste that was getting in the way. Um, we had a, a phrase that I or to clear the way. And so what I realized is if you work in healthcare and you're not patient facing in some capacity, if you're not removing waste from the existing system in some way, then you are the waste. Wow. And that was kind of this like shocking, right. this shocking realization. And then from then on, I've been very passionate about removing waste. And so um, when I found out about um, uh, the idea that then came, became Cohere, here is an organization that was going into clinical workflow in a very frictionful process today, which is prior authorization, which is a component of utilization management. And there was an opportunity to make that experience much better reduce the burden and the time associated with that, and then use that point in time to do really interesting things to actually improve outcomes for patients. That sort of hooked me, Um, uh, uh, particularly when you think about building scalable technology uh, that can work um, across the country and and, and all sorts of different modalities. So so it's a a big journey of, of making mistakes and and being fortunate to work with people who steer me in the right direction. You won't be surprised to know that in a lot of the discussions we have on this show, it is, including my own, sort of a 
sometimes multi-stop meandering pathway to a lot of the same places. So you're in, you're in good company uh, in that regard. I'd love to go back to something you mentioned about turning a liability into an asset. And is that because you're collecting data at that point and it's something that has to happen anyway in terms of utilization management, prior authorization, so you can better inform that, do it based on best practices. Talk me through that. Like, I love that framing and it seems really elegant. So I'd love to hear about how how you think through going from uh, liability to asset. Yeah, well, so it's, it's, it's elegant and it's often, you know, almost too basic is sort of the other way to think about it. And any other, almost any other sector of the economy, this would be basic. Like, how do you think about product and design and technology? But um, the prior authorization process, you know, I like to say it's actually kind of neat. And if, if you're a doctor, you would say <laughs> that's, you know, horrendous that you would even say that comment, right? And any clinician would say that. Um, but the reason it's interesting is one, it exists in clinical workflow, as I said before. Two, it's a massive pain point. So there's so much low-hanging fruit to make it simpler and easier. Three, it's structured data. So it's CPT codes, it's diagnosis codes. And when you think about the connections into electronic medical records, much more information that exists. Right. And then uh, it, it, and it exists and it, it basically happens in advance of an intervention. And then lastly, if you actually think about it, rather than um, as a, a siloed decision in a, in, you know, in an instant, like I, do I approve this image or not? Do I approve this surgery or not? Do I approve this physical therapy or not? And you switch your mindset and say, Hey, what are the likely patient journeys that could exist based on who this patient is and the pathway that they're on based on their diagnosis and the likely treatment plan that they are on or should be on and what are the things that we can do differently, you come at a very different set of opportunities to be helpful to that, that patient or that member, if you're thinking about from the insurance company's perspective. So right. immediately you say, wait, how do I get upstream of this decision? So specific, mm -hmm. like if it's a surgery, like surgery is too late. What, what happened at the, the interventional pain authorization? What happened at the physical therapy? What happened at the PCP referral? Right. So you think very differently about getting upstream to the people who start these processes. And then who's the ultimate person that you want to get upstream to is the patient themselves, the member themselves. And so we think every single day about how to do those kinds of things. And we can, to your, to your question, because we have access to this interesting data and we think longitudinally around patient journeys. Uh, and then we have the opportunity to intervene differently than traditional specialty benefit management companies or the way in which health, uh, health insurance companies have worked in the past. In that model, who is your primary customer? Who brings in Cohere to that interaction? And then as a follow-up, I'm imagining you have a split between the primary customer and then the user who's actually using right. your solution. Yeah, so we, the primary customer, so the paying customer, and we think this is actually an important design principle for the company, as well as the right way in which to make change fastest and most broadly, is the health insurance company, or in some respects, a risk-bearing medical group when they sort of perform insurance-like services. So they pay us basically so they can be a better partner to their members and to the network 
to drive better outcomes for members, for patients, and then to improve the, the burdensome experience that providers have. As you know, like the AMA is up in arms and you see, I think right now, 41 of the 50 states have legislation that's either been written or is in the process of being written related to these burdensome prior auth standards. So, so they are the, the insurance companies that are paying customer. And what is great about that is that allows us to access the entire set of members and the entire network to drive change with technology. And then importantly, as you said, the bulk of the design resources that we spend and the technology resources that we expend are actually experienced by the provider, right? The, the practice that's thinking about the authorizations that need to be submitted to get the patient the care they need quickly. So, you know, we're paid by the health plan to be, um, to help the health plan be a much better, uh, deliver a much better experience. And, and what we have been able to see is this drives um, better clinical outcomes, drives better member experience. It significantly decreases the, the cost to the ordering providers practice and the amount of work doctors expend in these, um, in these prior authorization processes. And importantly, we also see the total cost of care goes down while the burden for the or the doctor, the burden for the member also goes down. And, and that's sort of like this game-changing idea in utilization management when historically the measures were, what's your denial rate? What's your withdrawal rate? What's your peer-to-peer -peer rate? Um, sort of the hammer uh, kinds of metrics that are effectively built upon uh, incentivizing friction, which we think is unacceptable. So it allows you to get to better, more impactful metrics even, which is a real, I mean, as, as scale, you, right. It's a real, I mean, it's worth like lingering on that for a second, because anybody who knows the system, as you said, everything is not is uh, defined in the negative you know, you know uh, rejection rate, things like that. And you think about what that represents as it bleeds through the system um, versus optimization, like things that are, how do you optimize the best outcomes, not mitigate the worst outcomes? Correct. And, and if you think about it from a physician's perspective or a medical group's perspective, I have in one model, the insurance company blocking me from doing what I think is good, right? Providing care mm -hmm. for page. And the other model, the insurance company helping me get the good outcome, right? Get the care fast. And even Friday, we had a medical group in Texas say, you know, here's the only organization that we've ever worked with. It feels like you're trying to help us be successful, which is just, you know, terrible that that's the state of the state and the United States today. Um, and, and I just think, and we think at Cohere, it has to change. Otherwise, we're going to be in this morass of, you know, unacceptable outcomes, unacceptable, unacceptable expenditures and unacceptable waste for a long time. Having worked in the, in the value-based care world for a bit, uh, I know that coordination between primary care providers or docs that are referring out and the specialists is a persistent challenge. Uh, back to that word optimization, you know, which is very buzzwordy, but um, yep. Optimizing that relationship, that communication channel, is uh, really one of the one of the toughest nuts to crack in value-based care. Um, how do you all think about that? Does the, is this an opportunity to go after that challenge? 
it, and it's for me personally, it's like one of the most exciting things that, that we're going after, but absolutely. Um, and I think, and I, and I was listening to one of your podcasts with, with Ryan Grant, right? And he was talking mm-hmm. about the burden that PCPs face in coordinating, right? And that's real. And I come, I've, I've worked in that environment, even in sort of a utopian environment where you, unconstrained by fee-for-service blockers, the reality is that being a primary care physician and a practice and a team is, is difficult. And it's impossible to be able to deal with every configuration that a patient needs and you need specialty care but the pathways are not easy to understand and the, the science is not easy to stay on top of. And so one of the things we are doing today, we are providing primary care practices with information around different musculoskeletal pathways, for example, so that they can figure out the when to refer and when not to refer and when to suggest physical therapy as opposed to going direct to an orthopedic surgeon. Those pathways also include education for the PCP themselves, as well as education that they can leverage with their patients. There's a lot to do there, and it's a huge opportunity. And I think, you know, what's really interesting is when you think the confluence of the request for a prior authorization and the request for the referral, they're pretty much the same thing, you know, both from the the data that exists in, uh, that are required for those two things. And then how a, a physician's practice thinks about, I need to get something more specialized right. for my for my patient and I need to approval for that. So we, we think there's tremendous opportunity uh, at that node. I'd love to talk a bit about the role of startup COO because having done uh, you know, sleeves rolled up on the ground ops um, in my previous life at a, at a venture back startup in the similar space. It is a, a particularly tough job. Um, so I'd love to hear how you think about uh, the implementation process, keeping, and, and as general or as specific as you want to be, keeping the operational teams motivated and engaged because you know, these, these, this is a complex business model, you know, it's not like, it's not a widget factory. Um, and so the, anytime I, you know, I have this theory about when you split the payer, the paying customer and the user, the challenges in incorporating feedback and being sensitive to the dynamics, like who, who are you serving in that model at any given time? And the answer is all of them all the time, particularly in healthcare. Um, but I'd love to hear some of your, lessons learned in that space um, through Cohere or Iora or any other operational field that you've been in? I I think the biggest lesson is independent of my title or any title, right, is just to be incredibly humble and listen to what the customer's challenges and opportunities and listen. And you might have multiple customers. Like for us, we think of the patient as the customer. We think of the provider as the customer and the health plan. And then that one that helps uncover the challenges and then two you can start to prioritize okay we can go fix this so when we to your point what we do is not simple to put in place in part because a lot of the fail points that exist in utilization management prior auth exist because of all the funky integrations that happen between systems so when we listen to the health plans concerns what we what we hear their health plans are very worried about shaking up anything that touches their provider network. And so what do we do? We 
doubled down on delivering a great experience from a technology perspective and built a very robust support and engagement team that works with the provider practices such that the, these practices say, hey, when are you going to get your next insurance company so that we can make this easier? And, and that is a very powerful thing that we can bring to the to the health plan. Uh, the second is we hear from health plans like, I can't have this just be a pilot with one hospital. This has to work across my entire network. And so we built multiple modalities to access our technology. So you can access our technology via a web application. You can access it via provider portal and you can access it from uh, electronic health record. Third, and this is sort of you know, the healthcare system and health insurance companies are famous for siloed systems and 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 old school technology that are difficult to integrate with. And so we built many different configurations of integration. So if a health plan wants to work in fire-based APIs, we can work with fire-based APIs. If they want to work in more simple 278 integrations, we can do that too. Uh, and then lastly, and this is like, it, it, it didn't sort of dawn on me for a while, but all of these health plans across the country are going through some sort of transformation as it relates to utilization management. And that's, you know, the, the organization shifting and adapting, and it's not just new technology, it's culture, it's everything. And they wanna be a part of it. And so bring them into it, right? So we actually make the health plan be a part of the process of transforming. We, we bring them to the meetings with the providers. We engage with them. We provide advice for how they should think about running their UM operation. And it's much more of a partnership as opposed to here's a piece of technology and see you later and it will work. And, um, you know, that's not for every single health plan. Uh, our early customers are the ones who want to go on this journey together and see this as a way for them to get more ownership of this crazy system that's been hard for them to manage and then, and obviously make it much more interoperable than it is today. And you alluded to this earlier, and it's such a crucial point that the current mechanisms for utilization management and, and, and prior auth, aside from the, the advances that Cohere has made, are already baked into workflow, which is usually a place that any startup, um, new entrant, will say, uh, has to elbow their way in regardless of where it is. Like they have Correct. to make sure that they're in that provider workflow. In some ways, it's an advantage to have a pre-existing workflow that you're inserting yourself in. But how much of it is behavior change that you're targeting on the behalf of providers to shift that workflow? So I, I think, and this goes back to the humility as a core sort of we, we, uh, feature of, of who we are and the kinds of people we look for is one, I think a lot of organizations make the mistake of trying to change behavior without understanding where, where behavior is today. So I, I think that's really, really critical is first understand what's happening and understand the whys behind what's happening, right? So I think there's much too much, uh, and, and particularly this is how physicians feel, judgment placed upon their medical decision-making without really understanding all the things that are going on that prevent the patient from having the outcome that both the physician and the health plan would want. So I think that's the first thing, right? Is you need to invest in design and product and learn how practices work and how decisions get made and what is the, the, the problem because it actually might have nothing to do with physician behavior change and everything to do with some sort of administrative process or incentive that's driving the wrong issue. 
Um, but certainly a huge piece of what we do is behavior change um, uh, implementation. Um, uh, we, we, we spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about how our technology, how, how, and we use the word nudge quite a bit. In our technology itself, we are able to nudge the ordering practice to different decisions based on what they're trying to achieve. Also, oftentimes it has nothing to do with what the physician's trying to order. It might be, hey, do you know if you order this first, you won't run into a delay and isn't, wouldn't you prefer that? And, and they say yes. Or, you know, this, this nudge that we're doing over here can save you time later on. And would you like that? And we can measure all those kinds of things. That said, for inappropriate care that is happening, the holy grail is can you influence the physician decision making? And again, we see that opportunity not by forcing a doctor to use a piece of technology that she or he doesn't normally want to use, or even if they did use, doesn't want to like listen, is, is think about what, what are the influences of, of physician behavior that would make sense? Like, can we talk to the physician about the patient out-of-packet costs that might, might be an issue? Can we talk to the, pa- the physician about the degree to which their rates of, you know, holding up and, and denial are higher than their peers and, and when you risk adjust those patient populations? And, and so use data and, you know, the competitive instincts of physicians to help them on their own terms with their medical directors, leaders in, the, in their medical group to drive the change as opposed to have it make it feel like the insurance company is trying to change uh, medical decision making. Duncan, you and I are part of a, a, a growing segment of the folks in this universe that ha- are on the second iteration of value-based care, provider, payer-focused models. I'd love to close by some of the lessons learned from, let's call it 1.0 to 2.0 in the space. Because I'm, I, I've had the pleasure of talking to a bunch of folks who have a similar background than I, you know, from, from my own experience, but I'd love to hear a, a couple of the pearls that you saw in those early passes at Iora that you have brought forward with your team at Cohere. Yeah. I mean, what's crazy to me is um, a lot of the pearls are actually the same. <laughs> and this is where I think you can actually, there's so much robust it, it, uh, data out there on interesting interventions that have worked in a specific place, but it was the wrong time, the wrong incentive model, wrong technology. And I, I think that's the biggest lesson is sometimes before you try to go do something new, actually go look at what's been worked well and then go try to scale that. So Cohere wouldn't have worked five years ago, 10 years ago. There wasn't the kind of technology available. There wasn't the kind of interoperability standards. Um, there wasn't you know, uh, a need from the insurance company's perspective to change how they work because they were worried about CMS and other regulators, you know, fundamentally impacting their business. And so, and, and this, you know, there, there are so many things that have happened um, previously that, that, can, that, can, that can scale and look at Kaiser Permanente and that kind of thing that they're doing things that, that any place could do if they align technology incentives uh, correctly. So I think that's one big lesson is look to the past for inspiration and then take advantage of modern technology, take advantage of um, data that exists in different kinds of ways and take advantage of different modes of, of um, 
of integration that are that are new. And uh, I think that's, and I think what's exciting about that is that you could say, oh, we can go after that. We don't have to go brainstorm these these crazy ideas. I think there's tons of low hanging fruit, um, and you know uh, that's from my days at Health Dialogue. We were doing shared decision making, and and the underlying premise was you can't rely on changing the doctor. So we would go around the doctor and, and intervene via the insurance company. At Cohere, we're doing the same thing. Right. <laughs> and, and like we're in, we're enabling shared decision making, but now we can do it in a way that actually includes the physician in the process, includes the patient in the process. And and you know, that's this magical game-changing idea, but it's not it's not that complicated. Um, so I think it's, you know, I don't know if it's exactly answering your question, but there's a bit of humility that we all need, and then take advantage of the wonderfully smart. Uh, people that can now tackle these challenges in ways that wasn't possible 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Duncan Reese, COO and co-founder of Cohere Health. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Joe. This is really fun. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups.